It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We've got a really fun episode for you this week. Fun because one thing I like to do is think outside the box, come up with different ideas, different ways to look at certain things with regards to Penn State football or anything that I'm covering Really, I, I think a lot of sports writers generally get so caught up in the players and the news of the day and feature stories and all these kinds of things. And there's a lot of different ways to go about covering a beat. One thing I like to do is really look at some big picture things, take a look outside the box, come up with interesting questions and debates. Now, I've covered Penn State football since 2006. I've been a sports writer for 30 years now, and I've also been a daily radio talk show host for close to 14 years. When you are a radio host, you have to find ways to engage with an audience. I I did a show for 10 and a half years for two hours a day for crying out loud. We took a lot of phone calls when I was on it. in Central PA, uh, Altoona, and the State College ESPN market. I'd take a lot of phone calls. I'd come up, I'd throw out interesting questions or debates, get a lot of phone calls. Now I'm only on one hour a day, four to five in Altoona. I don't get as many phone calls. But what I like to do is throw out an issue or a topic, and then I'll give an opinion, callers give an opinion, and it's a fun way to really go about things that in a lot of ways is quite different than what you'll read about. So what am I doing? Where am I going with all this? All right. I want to give a shout out to the guys at Hardcore Penn State Football. That's run by Corey Lestoki and Sean Kane. You can check them out on Twitter at Hardcore Penn State Football. They do a podcast that's very, very good. They had two of the better questions that I've heard uh, recently with regards to Penn State football. Great topics for debate. They, they both came out over the last week or so. One question was, is Penn State a blue blood football program? Okay. So give you a couple seconds to think that over. Is Penn State a blue blood football program? Very interesting. A lot of ways to go about it. 
and yes, I'm I'm stealing their ideas, but again, I want to make sure I give these guys a lot of credit because these are really good hardcore Penn State football. Go listen to their podcast. Check them out on Twitter. A lot of good stuff. The other the other question, and this one is pretty fascinating the way they went about it. Who would win between the 2022 Penn State football team and the 2016? Penn State football team. Both teams went to the Rose Bowl. In 2016, they obviously lost to USC in the classic uh, high-scoring game with uh, Saquon going for the long touchdown run. 2022, Penn State goes to the Rose Bowl. They beat Utah in what was kind of a close game. Utah's quarterback gets hurt, and then Penn State blows them out. So what the guys at Hardcore Penn State football did, and I'll let you go, you know, listen to their podcast and they can explain maybe all this more. They, they rigged a game, a college football game, um, and programmed it to where, uh, the, they changed the mods of it to where the 2022 Penn State team played the 2016 Penn State team in a best of three series. Now, if you're listening to this on Sunday, uh, apparently they've already played games one and two. The 2016 team won the first game of their simulation. The 2022 team with Sean Clifford won the second game of the simulation. And then they're going to play game three, the rubber match on Sunday night at eight o'clock. So again, if you're listening to this earlier Sunday, you know, you, you can have a, a decent idea uh, about uh, what to expect. And then they'll, they'll, they'll do the game sim- simulation at uh, 8 o'clock. So I want to tackle that one first. To me, when you take a look at the amount of talent that was on that 2016 team, offensively, especially Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, Chris Godwin, Mike Gesicki, Deshaun Hamilton, I don't think it's even remotely close. Not remotely close from an offensive standpoint. I would take Trace McSorley over... Sean Clifford in a heartbeat any day. I would take Saquon Barkley over Nicholas Singleton or Catron Allen in a heartbeat any day. I'd take Chris Godwin over uh, Parker Washington any day. Mike Gesicki over Brenton Strange or any of the tight ends any day. Now, there is one interesting component, though. The 2022 offensive line for Penn State probably was better than the 2016 offensive line. It's debatable. But uh, I think one of the guys from Hardcore Penn State Football uh, mentioned that in, in a comment where I made, where I, I said the 2016 team w- was better. Um, and that is an interesting component. Then you also have to consider the defenses. Now, the, the 2022 Penn State defense, this could be the advantage if you're thinking about especially the secondary led by Joey Porter Jr., who's going to be a first-round draft pick. Jair Brown, an upperclassman, very good college football player. Kalen King came on, was it what a third team All American? It it was very difficult for teams to throw the ball on Penn State in 2022, and a very very aggressive defensive scheme by Manny Diaz. Uh, and then you know you go back and look at the 2016 defense: Marcus Allen, Brandon Bell, Jason Cabinda, uh, you know Grant Haley, John Reed. Some some good defenders on that team. Not a great Penn State defense. They gave up 52 points to 
USC in the Rose Bowl. Uh, so they did play very well against Ohio State in the uh, in the 2016 uh, win that uh, turned the program around. But you can clearly make a case that the 2022 defense, especially the secondary, would have an advantage over the 2016 defense. However, to me, the biggest difference, if I'm comparing these two teams, is Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley, the ultimate gamer, a vastly, vastly, vastly superior college quarterback to Sean Clifford. I'm going to give Clifford a lot of credit for the way he finished his career, 11-2 Rose Bowl, all these things. But it still doesn't change the fact that for the overwhelming majority of his career, Sean Clifford was an average college quarterback. Trace McSorley was a very, very good college quarterback. And he's in the NFL. I mean, Sean Clifford's never going to be in the NFL as a, as a, a quarterback of any magnitude. To me, if, if we're comparing 2016 versus 2022, even with that outstanding secondary, I still think Trace McSorley finds a way to carve them up. Uh, Chris Godwin, Mike Gesicki, Deshaun Hamlet, they would have found a way. And so, uh, to me, I, I, I don't really think it's all that close. The guys at Hardcore Penn State football, uh, they, they've played a couple simulations. They've got them even so far. My guess is Sunday night when they do the final simulation, the 2016 team will win. Again, I don't necessarily think it's close, but it is a really, really cool debate, you know, kind of all things considered. Their other topic was, is Penn State a blue blood program? And I'll let you listen to their podcast for some of their reasoning and very, very good discussion between Corey and Sean. But basically it comes down to this. Penn State hasn't won a national title since 1986. Um, been kind of average in some other years, really good in some other years. But to me, uh, I, I think absolutely Penn State is a blue blood program. The eighth winningest program in the history of college football with 920 wins. Now, the ninth winningest program in the history of college football is Nebraska. Nebraska, is, I don't believe, is a blue blood program any longer. I, I can absolutely make a case that Penn State is a blue blood program. They finished seventh in the country this year. They'll be ranked in the top ten in the preseason next year. They'll be a playoff contender year in and year out, probably, while the field, when the field goes to 12. And so we have seen... Oh, you know, 05 Orange Bowl, 08 Rose Bowl, 16 Rose Bowl. James Franklin has finished in the top 12 five out of seven years. Uh, clearly, the national championship drought going back to 86 is long. But when, when you're when you're talking about blue blood programs, eighth winningest program uh, of all time, nationally relevant more often than not, I, I definitely say that they are a blue blood program. But the bottom line I want to point out to end this segment is this is a fun time of year. It's off season. We can think about a lot of different things outside the box. I just give the two guys credit at hardcore Penn State football for coming up with these good questions. This is what the off season is about. It's not about analyzing, you know, Nicholas Singleton and all these players till we're blue in the face for the next seven months. Let's have some fun with it. Think outside the box. Come up with some different topics, some different questions. Uh, that's right up my alley. Both of those, uh, both of those things. So, again, one last shout out to those guys for for coming up with some really good questions.
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com All right, welcome back to the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. As you could probably tell, uh, as the first segment went on, my voice is kind of giving out on me a little bit. I've been a little sick over the past week, had a little bit of a cough, and sometimes whenever I get a cough for a few days, I end up losing my voice. It, it happens a good bit, and I end up having to miss time doing my radio show every now and then. So hopefully I can make it through uh, a couple more segments here on the podcast. One thing I, I wanted to uh, address in this segment, uh, a story I wrote this past week, uh, kind of a fun topic about how much time a college football head coach actually gets to spend on coaching. Maybe you read the story earlier in the week at uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports, but I, I uh, estimated that somebody like James Franklin probably gets to spend at most 5 to 10% of his time on the job actually doing football coaching. I mean, it, it might be less than 5%, really, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but but I, I laid out a lot of parameters in the story. But if you think about um, an example I gave, say you coach youth sports. I coach a lot of youth sports. Okay, I, I spend some time planning or talking to parents or whatever, but most of the time, me as a, as a youth sports coach, I'm out practicing with the kids, uh, baseball, basketball especially. Uh, my, my son plays those sports. 95% of my time as a baseball youth baseball coach is spent actually coaching. We're actually practicing. I throw hundreds of pitches of BP throughout the week, and we have games and all that stuff. Kind of ba- youth basketball is the same way. I-, I tend to think maybe junior high and high school coaches, the the overwhelming majority of their time is probably spent coaching, game planning, scheming, all those kinds of things. When you get to the college level, though, it's fascinating to me. This is basically the coach versus CEO debate and why I've said it's so important that James Franklin is a tremendous CEO 
because that's really what you need nowadays. When I when I guess or estimate that five to ten percent of James Franklin's job is actually coaching football, what does that tell you? That means ninety percent. The other ninety percent is the CEO work, how he deals with everybody on the staff. There's recruiting. There's nil. There's boosters. There's traveling. There's emails and text messages and meetings and you know radio shows and PR and all of this stuff. It's really not about coaching. It's not about game planning, getting ready for a game. I've I've yet to come up with an exact number or or a great list. I think two or three years ago, I saw a list uh, of all the people that work in and around the Penn State football program. It was like 100 people. Again, we're talking assistant coaches, graduate assistants, analysts, support personnel, consultants, interns, Football managers. I mean, this is a massive, massive, massive operation. A hundred people. Well, James Franklin's in charge, really, of all of it. If you're in charge of a hundred people and you've got to deal with, you know, the operations day to day from that standpoint, that takes away from football planning. You know, it's just fascinating to think about what it means to be a college football coach nowadays compared to what it used to be, certainly during the Joe Paterno era. Joe was famous for having all these VHS tapes. He'd go home, he'd watch all this tape. You know, he would spend all this time dissecting and breaking down game film and everything like that. And James Franklin, I'm sure, does that uh, to a degree, but that's what they've got all of these video experts and interns and everything. They slice up all the game film. They can get every single game, you know, down to each. I <laughs> Think about this, folks. I can just envision Joe Paterno taking a VHS tape home, putting it in the VCR, having to fast forward, you know, from one play to the next. Hey, where's the fast forward button? You know, just kind of fumbling through it a little bit, you know, 25 years ago and how, how this whole process would have worked. Now, the video people at Penn State, they've got every play down. It's its instantly available on, uh, you know, their iPads or whatever devices. So to break down game film is significantly less. Point is, it just goes to show how different it is to be a college head coach right now compared to the past. And what we have to expect from these coaches. You folks out there. You want to bitch and moan about James Franklin if he makes a bad play call or a bad decision on third or fourth down in a key game. We in the media, we gripe about it. We write about it. He struggles as a game coach with this decision or that decision or adjustments or timeout usage or whatever the case might be. But the point I'm trying to make is all of that stuff, all the game preparation, all the decisions... I mean, if you add it all up compared to everything else that a coach does, it is such a tiny percentage of the coach's full responsibility as the CEO of the program. And yet that tiny percentage, when it comes to the games, (laughs) that's what we're going to judge these coaches the most on, what we're going to gripe about the most, what we're going to criticize them the most, 
or, or judge them or want them fired the most. So it is such a fascinating dynamic. I keep saying, I've written this numerous times as well, that James Franklin is one of the best CEOs in all of college football. I think he does uh, the overwhelming majority of his job extremely, extremely well. Do we complain about him as a coach for three, three and a half hours on Saturdays? Absolutely. He, he makes a lot of mistakes. But it's it's just one of those weird things now where what does it take to be successful at the highest levels of college football? Do you need to be the greatest football coach in the world? Do you need to be the greatest X's and O's guy? Do you need to be able to break down and see everything on film instantaneously and know how to fix it within three seconds? Do you need to be that? No, you you really don't. What you need to do is you need to make sure you are surrounding yourself with a lot of other people who know how to do that. And your assistant coaches are exceptional at it. And all of your support personnel and your your consultants and everything, that they're all really good at it. And then you need to be able to digest all of this information from all of these different people. And that's where something I, I do think James Franklin is very, very good at that. Again, I wrote about it. Uh, you can go back and read what I wrote. It's an interesting component. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you think it's more than 5 or 10% that's actually spent on football. But I, I, I doubt it. I, I think the number could be significantly less than 5%. All right, welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast. We're going to talk some uh, basketball wrestling here as well. Penn State coming up a little bit later on Sunday afternoon has a road game at Nebraska in uh, the Big Ten. Nebraska's not very good. Penn State has very little margin for error on the NCAA tournament bubble. As of uh, Saturday evening, Penn State was the seventh team out in Joe Lenardi's bracket free ESPN. So uh, six other teams ahead of Penn State. Penn State was the seventh team out. So you're talking basically number 75. Again, it, it, it's very little margin for error. You, you got to go out and beat Nebraska on the road. Um, and, and then you got Wisconsin coming into the Jordan Center. Got to win those couple of games. But one thing I want to point out, and I, I did write about this a couple of times over the week. Uh, I had a great discussion with a buddy of mine who, loves college basketball as much as me. And he pointed out something great about, uh, hey, once we get to championship week and you've got some of these, you know, really good teams in mid-majors or smaller conferences that you know are going to go to the tournament and maybe they're one-bid leagues, two-bid leagues, and you get a, a team that comes up and upsets them in the conference tournament and you end up stealing a bid. So you think about it, okay, where does Penn State need to be to really be comfortable that even if a couple of bids are stolen, that it can still get into the tournament? So basically, if you're number 67, 68 on the bubble and one bid is stolen, that pushes you down a spot. If two bids are stolen, it pushes you down a spot. So basically, and look, every year there are going to be two, three bids stolen. Penn State really needs to be at, at number 66, probably. 
you got to figure to, and and look, we're splitting hairs, 66, 67, 69. I mean, these are, these are very, 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 very small margins, but the point is right now they're number 75. Okay. They're significantly out of it. All right. With no, with, you know, they're on the wrong side, no margin for error. And that's something to, to take into consideration as the season winds down, because I've been saying really for a couple months, this is an NCAA tournament team. If you've watched Penn State basketball a good bit, a lot of nights they absolutely look like an NCAA tournament team. But they're five and six in the Big Ten. Nine games left. Got to find five more wins. Here's the rest of the schedule. At Nebraska, that is one million percent a must-win game. At home against Wisconsin, here's the key. Wisconsin is ahead of them on the bubble. Wisconsin is ahead of Penn State on uh, Joe Lenardi's uh, bracketology. I think they're the, in the first four out. And you've already lost to Wisconsin on the road. Okay, so that's a must-win game. Because if you lose at home to Wisconsin, now you're, you're going to lose any benefit of the doubt if it comes down between you and Wisconsin for a last spot or two. All right? So these next two games are must-win games for Penn State. And if they do win them, they'll be 7-6 and six in the league. And probably pretty close to right you know bite right back on the positive side of the bubble at Maryland home against Illinois at Minnesota at Ohio State home against Rutgers at Northwestern home against Maryland to close the regular season there certainly are five more wins there there's five more wins there you beat Nebraska you beat Wisconsin now you need three wins in your last what seven games certainly doable but the point I wanted to make again that everybody needs to consider is I've been saying all along, if Penn State's 10 and 10 in the league, that it probably gets in. They'll need to win at least one game in the conference tournament, go one and one at worst. That's 11 and 11. But I, I, I'm starting to doubt more and more that that actually will be enough. Again, if Penn State is even in that 66, 67 range, simply because once you get to conference tournament championship week, you're going to have one or two, three bids stolen by by smaller teams. It happens all the time. It's definitely something we need to uh, keep an eye on here over the final month of the regular season. Lastly, want to mention wrestling. Just uh, uh, unbelievable. You just run out of superlatives to say about the wrestling program. Uh, they beat Ohio State, clobbered Ohio State, the number four team in the country, on Friday 29-9. Won eight of the ten bouts, um, and the only two they lost were the two weight classes where they're not just not quite as strong. One twenty five where they've got some major issues, and then they also lost. Uh, Shane Van Ness lost at one forty nine. Um, Gary Steen lost at one twenty five. They won the other eight bouts, and so they've got a, a, a dual meet against Indiana coming up on Sunday on the road. But that's forty consecutive dual meet victories for Penn State. Beat, beat number two, Iowa, last week. Now number four, Ohio State on the road. Just when you think about the sheer dominance of that program and what Kale Sanderson has been able to accomplish, it is mind-boggling. I, I would question anybody to find any more dominant program in the country right now in any sport. Nine of the last 11 national championships, probably going to be 10 this year, 10 of 12 uh, and we're talking a major sport, not, 
you know, not some smaller sport that not many people know or care about this, you know, wrestling is still a major sport, uh, in, in college. So congratulations to <coughs> excuse me, all those guys, uh, have done and, and, and a lot more to come. All right, folks, appreciate everybody for tuning in to the, we are podcast this week. Sorry. My voice was a little off. Uh, post me any comments or questions for anything else you'd like to, for me to discuss. Have a good week and we'll talk to you again next Saturday, next Sunday.